0: jersey take it away welcome to league one fun please subscribe rate and review us on your favorite podcast app we're sponsored by roughneck scarves and icarus fc i'm ira jersey that voice you heard to start us off is jason jason the last week of the season is behind us we're headed to the finals
1: it's it's that time it was uh the best of times it was the worst of times for for some people but i gotta say easily the most entertaining decision day i've been a part of uh I mean, yeah, easily, if not maybe rival with one other, but this is just that was just an incredible day of 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 extra time soccer, right? It all
0: happened in stoppage time. Do you think it made a difference that we knew one of the results early? Yeah, you know, and you know, spoiler alert here, if anyone doesn't know the results, but you know, Richmond lost their match, so that opened the door wide open for North Texas and and uh, uh, and Union Omaha.
1: I mean, the thing is, if, if Richmond had won, then, yeah, it would have been like, all right, well, Richmond won. They're in the final. The rest of this now is just for pride. But Omaha and North Texas both had to play like Omaha had to play and win it in stoppage time to get in. And by the time that they did that, North Texas was already 70 minutes into their game. Right. So there was no excuse for them to have not had the the pedal on the medal or medal. Pedal to the, the, the pedal metal. to the metal. There we go. Uh, <laughs> it's been a long time since you drove, probably. It, I, you're right. You're absolutely right. Um, so, yeah, it's just uh, I don't think it played that big of a role outside of making it more entertaining because they did lose, and it was like, all right, well, now both of these teams have to go. And, and you can tell that their coaching, you know, they were probably listening. And as soon as Omaha heard that Richmond didn't win, it was just more fuel for
0: them. Do you think, um, you know, here, here's an interesting thing. So you know, we always talk about promotion relegation, right? It's obviously a hot button topic among some people within the the soccer community, and and you know, obviously it would be a nice to have, but I'm personally not convinced that it's it's the uh, it's the be all end all, and and would help as much as some people think. But but on a day like decision day, some of the matches could be really interesting for the bottom of the barrel too, right? Like if there was going to be a relegation fight, then obviously one or two of those matches could have mattered. Like the Tormenta North Texas match could have actually mattered much more than than it ultimately did.
1: Yeah, um, I mean, just eventually, right? And now that we see, you know, different MLS teams pulling their teams out, you know, their two teams out and we see, you know, Academy growing within USL. We see Academy Pro contracts growing. One day, right? One day we might get to it because I do think that, if USL continues what they're doing as far as the, the sample size and the requirements, right, then it's one of those things to where it does allow for teams to move up and down without losing – too too much money if your team drops, right? You can you still have to have the five thousand seat stadium or whatever it is. You still have to have that marketing budget. So it's it's setting it up to where like this is not one of those things where we're reliant on television contracts or reliant on jersey contracts and endorsements. Like this is something to where if your team does drop, then it's not the end of the world. I mean, we obviously don't have like a huge salary in this right. league, so. So, yeah, I do think that, you know, they they are slowly but surely setting it up for it to be a possibility. And I think if there is going to be a possibility in this country of any league, whether, you know, any, whether it's MLS, whether it's NISA, whether it's, you know, MPSL, like this is the league that is most likely would happen with.
0: Yep. So let's talk about uh, some news then. So uh, one of the things that happened on Tuesday morning was Daryl Shore, the coach of Forward Madison, Um, his contract expired and was not renewed by forward Madison. So they've started a new coach search. Um, Are we surprised about this, Jason, or do we think that, you know, maybe forward Madison is just looking for it to go a different direction at this point.
1: Yeah, I think it's just a different direction, right? You had, you had two seasons and I I don't think he did a terrible job, especially it's tough for me to, to agree with any coach uh, you know being let go this season in particular like it's not really fair depending you know what what's going on with everything and being in in a pandemic um but yeah i think at times you saw that ford lacked a a purpose going forward right you have a bunch of talented veterans you have you know you have bang and you have a couple young guys who went you have Jiro, who's you know a very uh entertaining player and so i think because of that and when you look at this season, you go, okay, what was Ford's offensive tactic this year? And it's hard for you to pinpoint what it actually was. Whereas other teams, you can say exactly how they played offensively. I I think that played a huge role into the decision and they are looking to go a different direction.
0: Yeah. I know on the forward backward podcast, they were postulating that maybe he was on a reasonably big contract and given what's happened with COVID and everything else that, that it's possible that it was also a money saving. Um, (laughs) Okay. Possibility as well. I mean, I, I don't know. That's that's speculation, but um, but but that's also plausible. Um, other th- other. Things of, of note. So Stephen Beattie, who was a, a real attacking force last year, spent a lot of this year injured and, and not on the field, but did score a couple of goals when he was uh, when he was healthy and playing for the Chattanooga Red Wolves. Uh, he also did not have his contract renewed. I, I think that this was pretty unsurprising, Jason. You know, he's older player. You know, certainly had a lot to offer. Um, I think he he would be an interesting guy if if you know. I don't know his personality that well. I've only talked to him one time for a brief period, but you know, he would be an interesting Person, maybe to come back as a coach somewhere. Um, You know, I think he's that kind of player where maybe he can be an assistant for someone and and work his way up to coaching ranks.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I I thought that's what they were doing with Zaid this year. And I haven't really talked internally within the Chattanooga office to see how that was going, but it might be kind of the same path, right? And they might be able to bring these guys back and really help out, especially when they do start emphasizing on the academies, you know, the system and, and more of their younger players coming up. Sure.
0: So uh, so you have some information about what the final atmosphere might be like down in the upstate of South Carolina in Greenville. So yeah. what is the status of uh, ticket sales there?
1: Yeah, so sold out. It's going to be rocking on Friday night. Uh, they've been at a smaller capacity this year with the safety protocols, and they are allowed to bring half capacity now. So there will be 2000 people. Uh, there, uh, I don't know how comfortable I would feel, but uh, I'm sure all the fans there though will bring a exciting atmosphere. And I'm sure, especially as the last game of the season, as long as people are doing their best to abide by safety protocols, it's really it'll be really nice for the players to have that many people making that noise, rocking, and it really feeling like a championship game in a season where I'm sure most of their games didn't even feel
0: like professional <laughs> games from an atmosphere standpoint. Yeah, I'm sure. Um, and we know now that Orlando City B will not be in the um, in the league next year. But uh, you have maybe a I don't know if it's a spicy scoop or just oh, a yeah. scoop, it but is. something to do with Orlando City B, and you you, you refuse to tell me. So it's, I want to hear. It's a it.
1: couple. So first and foremost, I want to I want to ask you: What are you hearing about the MLS Reserve League as far as a start date?
0: So the way that I understand it, they weren't going to be starting that league probably until 2022. Um, The U19 MLS next Academy season will have a full season in 2021 is uh, what I understand. So from what
1: I'm hearing is that uh, Orlando city B does not know where they are playing next year. Uh, And and especially if the reserve season does not start until 2022. And so uh, from what I hear they have uh, once that news was released. Believe that Orlando has now released everybody from their contracts. So as of right now, OCB does not have a team uh, <laughs> of signed players, and um, it's it's not. Again, I, I've talked about it numerous times. It's not cool for them to kind of have had hold hostage, you know, to Blonte and Amer who were getting looks from other USL championship sides just for it to end like this. So I do hope that those players do get picked up. You know, I do hope that when you look at players like, you know, Avisa, Avisa had the most saves in the league this year. And granted, he has the most practice playing with, with Orlando's <laughs> back line. But, you know, these are players who are talented and should be playing in this league. So hopefully that they'll, they get picked up by
0: other people. Yeah, I hope so, too. So shall we get on with some recaps here, Jason? Yes, let's do it. So, and we're going to stay with the OCB theme here just for a minute because they played on uh, first on Saturday uh, and they scored one goal against the Greenville Triumph who dropped the four spot on them. This was OCB's last game as a franchise. It was, in my opinion, for the 20-ish minutes that I watched of this match, Jason, it was men versus boys um, like it has been through most of the year. Um it, it, you know you know like Fort Lauderdale has a, a similar average age of players to um uh, to OCB I mean OCB is a little bit uh yeah younger, I was but say that, that older, might not but be that might not be too fair I think Fort well Lauderdale. yeah but but remember Fort Lauderdale started 15 and 16 year olds in the last couple of weeks I mean when they you did. look at I, I calculated the average age of the starting 11s for the last couple of weeks between the two teams and it was only a couple of months different oh wow um, so okay. yeah, you know that I think the 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 distribution is different, right? Where, right? where, you know, basically OCB has like 17, 18, 19-year-olds, whereas uh, whereas Fort Lauderdale has some 15, 16, and then a couple of like 22, 23-year-olds. So it's right. just, you know, a different um, uh, different distribution. But, um, yeah, you know, the, it was, you know, still, I, I mean, I think Fort Lauderdale put together a fun brand of soccer to watch, yep. and OCB was, uh, was still for the second year in a row in League One just not. So So this is one of the reasons why I think a lot of people – are not too sad to see them go. Quite frankly, no.
1: So, and and at least last year OCB did, did have entertaining moments. Uh, this year, not so much. And like yeah. I said, if it, it wasn't Sublante sound-
0: beating seven people and scoring, it right,
1: was like very little. And on. and then when you look at what's going on internally with you know the players and coach relationships or players and team, rela- it just yeah, it, it was a mess. And so it's
0: really unfortunate because they could have such a great team. I mean, they're in a soccer hotbed. I mean, Orlando is a great place to be. It makes perfect sense in so many ways I, I i wish they had managed the team better quite frankly
1: yeah, i mean yeah I, I just it it doesn't no communication so it's hard for us to know what was going on right like we were told that gooch was a technical director and and i never heard anything about that afterwards and so i just yeah I, again theoretically it should have been a really good uh experience for these orlando kids and instead i, I just feel bad for them
0: yeah me too um, so a couple of goals from Alex morell, yeah. Lachlan McLean scores a goal. And then for OCB, uh, Alex, um, I'm not going to pronounce, even try to pronounce his they last finally, name.
1: They, listen, they've had this six foot 12 player yeah. this whole year and they finally want to give him minutes.
0: Yeah. So, so they gave him minutes at the end and actually it was a really nice run from just guy. Uh, um, what, what is it? NG. Um, and Engie made made this one run. And, uh, you know, Greenville at the time was up 3-0, 73rd minute. I mean, no one was really, like, you know, going into – to tackle him hard or, or try to slide tackle him, but he did dribble past three, four um, Greenville defenders and uh, was able to chip the ball. It passes the ball out to Kennedy who chips the ball onto Alex's head. And Alex, yeah, like you said, like, you know, this, this, this is a basketball player kind of height guy yeah. and uh, you know, heads the ball home. But in, in fairness th- no one on the back line, actually even challenge for the ball. No, I mean,
1: I'm sure I'm sure running. Dallas J had some words uh for his team afterwards for <laughs> taking away that clean sheet because uh I think uh that would have been his tenth
0: of the year. So he would have had double digit clean sheets clean sheets, that's right. In sixteen games. Right. So, I mean, only 16 games and they, they had nine clean sheets this season. So just absolutely insane. And of course, eight saves for the Orlando keeper, Ottero. Um, um, and he had one error leading to a goal, which is not a statistic that I actually realized existed. But yeah, yeah. I mean, the way again,
1: some of these some of the goal like we've had some hours this year with these goalkeepers, a lot more this year than last year. I'm not going to lie. it's yeah. It's been it's been an experience.
0: Yeah. Well, shall we get on to a match that I watched in its entirety and watched large stretches afterward and uh, tried to break down tactically in my mind in a way that that uh Daryl Grove would would have been proud of. Um, so it was the Richmond Kickers scored one and the Chattanooga Red Wolves scored two. And I mean,
1: it is what it is. Richmond fell apart and yeah. You know, I kept yeah, so I kept saying it was theirs to lose and they decided it, to lose it.
0: And, it. and it was that way, quite frankly, for the last four weeks. I mean, they, yeah. they only won one of their last four games. Right. So that's, the, you know, that's the reason. I mean, they, they, you know, if they won one more before this, they would also be in the finals, even with this result. Um, You know, my, you know, the way that, the way that I looked at this was, was several fold. Firstly, I didn't quite understand what the Richmond game plan was because they their line of confrontation when Chattanooga had the ball, they were willing to give Chattanooga the ball. And Richmond's line of confrontation was 20 yards inside their own half. So it was pretty clear that they were trying to counter, right? They were trying to use the speed of Bullduck and Mwape. Right? those are two guys that we know are good counterattacking attacking threats um, but it but after the first 15 20 minutes it wasn't working like it just no. you know Chattanooga shot it down they they kept a lot of the ball and you know it wasn't until after Chattanooga actually scored that they that they moved that line of confrontation 10 or 15 yards into the offensive half uh, which they, they which worked I mean that's the you know quite frankly the the way that the um, the goal happened um, that that Richmond scored and we'll get into that in a minute it was because because, you know the left back for Richmond was pressing and trying to win the ball high, and and that's the and was able to do that. So um, you know, and, and quite frankly, Fitzgerald just stood on his head too. The first half, yeah. He had, so, I I, yep. I think what was it six saves, seven saves the first half? It was crazy.
1: And and you can see again. I think the idea was for them to weather the storm. They knew that Chattanooga was going to come out on the high press. They knew that it was going to be fast pace and them trying to, you know make mistake having richmond make mistakes and so i think the idea was if we can weather this storm if we can get past it in that first half keep it level then we can come out and do something but the issue is they just let too much momentum build right like they didn't have a single shot or a single key pass until the 35th minute of the game you can't go the first 35 minutes of the game without even a shot or a, a, a chance created and then think that that's not going to fall over into the next half. You have to be able to get this going, get that momentum going to where, yeah, like you said, that line should have moved up gradually more and more. If you want to weather that storm in the first 20 minutes, cool, but then that that has to happen. And then so it, it just didn't. And then I don't know if it was an injury, but I was confused by the Mwape sub at halftime. Yeah, uh, I I, I, yeah, I
0: didn't get that either. There were three subs at halftime. If if you didn't watch this match, and and th- I mean they were attacking substitutions effectively, but Mwapé came out, and I didn't understand that. I mean, it would be one thing if he was tired in the 60th minute, but coming out at halftime seemed a yep. little bit early at at that moment, especially since it was still at that point a, a, a tie game.
1: Yeah, I so and so that and then he's honestly been, you know, with no Terzaghi, he's the proven. You know, player to create things, right? He's the one that that opens it up down the wing. He's at least someone that that draws attention for you to open up, you know, some space in the midfield or space in the box. And so I didn't understand that substitution. And then, yeah, going into the second half, you know, it was one of those things to where if Rich, I mean, uh, Richmond wanted to score, get that score, and then try to lock the game down, right? But the, but then when chattanooga score which we'll talk about now in a second it was them chasing and
0: as we've repeated on this show richmond can't chase a game they're not built to chase games so what I, what i didn't understand was so trezagi was on the bench and he did come in in the 78th minute and i was surprised that like you know in the 60th minute or maybe right after richmond equalized in the 64th minute i didn't understand why they didn't bring trezagi in then because I- even if even if he's a little injured you put him in for 20 25 minutes, not 12, right? Put him in for 25 minutes. And because if let's face it, it's your last game if you don't get another goal. So what's Well, I the think point in, so uh, was the point in not doing that.
1: I don't hate it because okay, so here's 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 the thing. Yeah, he definitely is hurt. I, yeah. And you're right. When they scored in the 64th minute to tie it up, that's when I would have liked to seen him come in. Right. That's when it's just like, OK, now we need to go for the win. I don't hate that he didn't come in in the 60th minute and they're hoping to grab one before they can bring him in. And maybe they had a cap like, hey, if we don't score by the 70th minute, he'll come in. But the, when they scored in the 64th minute, he shouldn't immediately came in for me. I think that's when it was like, OK, we scored. We've got the momentum on our side. Let's get him
0: in. Let's get let's get this going. We have yeah, 25 hate- minutes left. And if nothing else, he's going to occupy a defender or two, and that mm-hmm. leaves room for Bullduck and and uh, you know yeah, I forgot the new guy's name, Bolaños, is that his name? And Anderson,
1: um, who Anderson, I was yeah, Anderson was there.
0: Well. Anderson was probably the the best offensive player on the field besides mm-hmm. um, uh, besides Bullduck. And, and The one other thing that I would mention, you know, kind of tactically in this game, and this was particularly true in the second half. Um, you know, Matt Boldick tried to do too much himself. Yeah. Um, I mean, he, he, you know, took people on in the final third, but he just wound up a lot of times, you know, going up against the wall of Chattanooga defenders and, you know, other people were open and he didn't make a couple of, I don't want to say obvious passes, but there were, you know, a few times where he might've been able to get the ball to Anderson or, or get the ball to, um, uh, I don't remember who came in for Kraft, but one of the other, it was probably Bolaños. Um, but one of the other guys who, uh, um, who was up front trying to attack, and and instead he did it himself, and he, you know, he yeah, he got off a couple of shots, but none of them were particularly dangerous, really.
1: No, I think I think even with the injuries that happened, especially when you saw Antley go out, I don't think that and it, the timing was bad because it was one of those things to where they had to win, and so it wasn't you know midseason. It was like, hey, this is the crucial moment where you need to win three of your last seven or whatever. I don't think they learned how to adjust without in and without those backs being able to push up and them winning the ball midfield. I don't think they learned necessarily how to attack from their own half and building up. And I, because of that, you rely too much like bold relied too much on -on one-on-one and trying to make things happen. Right. Riley did the same thing. And I think they just, they just never formed that attack on what can they do when they are not able to push up and win the ball at midfield and they have to bring it out their own half. I, I just don't see, they didn't, like they got to the final third, right? And it's just like, what are we doing? Are we just crossing into the box? Are we just going to shoot it 30 yards out? There was no kind of creativity to really spark any kind of offense in that final third.
0: Well, that's where I think trazagi makes the difference there, right? Um, yeah. Especially the, the, the interesting kind of curling runs that he would often make to get into interesting positions or pull a defender or two out of position, which I right. think is, is equally as valuable.
1: And again, um, injury, right? Like I, yeah. I, I mean, he, he went in there cause he had, it was desperate, but if that was, if it wasn't for even that desperate measure, like I doubt he would have played the game at all. So, right. um, cause yeah, like you said, you don't bring, I think he, he might've played as much as he could. Right. I wouldn't be surprised if, if coach Darren went to him in the 64th minute when they scored and said, you think you can give us 25? And he was like, give me another 10 minutes and I can give you that. Right.
0: Well, unfortunate. I mean, Richmond Kickers fans, you know Elliot Schneier, you know you guys, uh, you know we feel for you. And but uh, it was a heck of a run, and it was a great season. And and you know even though you came in fourth, you know in a regular year that's a that's a playoff game right there, right? So um, it, you know it's unfortunate again. You know we're, we've mentioned it now like probably the last two months here, Jason. Like it's unfortunate there's not a, a four four team playoff uh, at the top because then they'd be playing Greenville this weekend uh, if the table ended this way. Um, so we go through the goals quickly. Um, 57th minute, Greg Hurst scored from uh, Connor Doyle for Chattanooga's first goal. Richmond lost the ball uh, on the far touchline. The ball finds its way to Ruiz, who's near midfield, and he just dribbles inside a few yards and then finds a wide-open Connor Doyle. No one was covering Connor Doyle. No, not a so soul. one, of, So one of the things that I wonder – about with with the defensive setup sometimes for, for Richmond, and I think this goal uh, kind of epitaph uh, uh, is is kind of the exemplar of this. Is you know who's who's the number six, right? Who's that defensive midfielder? Like who's that Eric Leonard or Welfe or you know one of the, the the really the lockdown number six who would be there to win that ball in the midfield? It didn't seem like you know Richmond had that the last couple of weeks, and and this this goal um, I think shows that because Doyle had all kinds of time. But he still only took one touch, and when he took that touch, um, he, he takes the touch toward Hurst, who's making a diagonal run uh, in behind the defenders. And you know the shouts of offside, and a couple of people throw up their hands, but. Um, the, the, the fact is Akwe kept him on side. Akwe was farther back and, um, and you know, there was no doubt that, uh, that he was on and Hurst goes one-on-one with Akira Fitzgerald and, and Hurst makes a little dink move to his left and gets around Akira who's diving for the ball and, um, and Hurst just passes the ball in the back of the net. Um, so anything you saw in this goal besides the lack of a number six doing their job?
1: Yeah. So when you look at it and, you know, they actually subbed out their number six in the 45th minute, Kyle Ventra was the one who really had to step up and kind of hold in that area. And anytime you're relying on your center back to do that, it's not good because then you're opening up too much space. I think that injury with Ivan was huge and him not being able to play. And now Akwe, who would have been perfect to kind of put in that role and kind of roam around to be someone that could offensively step up to help and defensively, you know, come in the middle, support the, the back line or also go wide if he needed to forcing him to be in one position. I think that hurt them. Uh, but yeah, so Venter, if you actually look like even in his average position, he was the one that had to step up and cover that ground as a six more than actually staying on his back line. And so with that, yeah, if there is a turnover, then you're leaving that whole backside open and, and Doyle just sat there, you know, Ate, ate ate a snack, uh, called his grandma, checked in on her. It was just – he had all the time in the world. And so – and and Hurst, who I know has, has just took the the most deepest exhale possible, finally finishing that goal because he had about four one-on-ones, five one-on-ones in the past <laughs> two, three weeks that he could not just get past a keeper. So he said, you know what? I'm just going to go around the keeper this yeah, time. I'm not a, even going to try.
0: Even a 16-year-old keeper yeah. <laughs> last week, right? Um but Richmond then did start to press, and in the 64th minute, they uh, they they did equalize. But don't look at the highlight. So I, I'm I'm going to encourage everyone who you know really wants to look at the game very tactically and and for what happened, because what what I like to do is I don't just watch the highlight that's on the League One site, which is great, but you have to look at what happened the two minutes before. Um, and especially the the play right before uh, this goal occurred, because th- this goal comes after a set piece. But that set piece was set up because Scotty Thompson, who, you know, we wouldn't have a League One Fun podcast without me talking about <laughs> Scotty Thompson. But Scotty Thompson was doing the pressing. He overlapped and lo- they, uh, Richmond lost the ball. He counterpressed, um, bombed up the left side pressure on Chattanooga and was and forced basically a uh, just a random kick to the center of the field that resulted in in a foul by uh, by Chattanooga and set up the free kick so you know it was a, it was a really you know that is when you know you noticed after the kickoff in the 65th in the 58th minute that um, that you know Richmond did start to press then they did start to do some of the really interesting work Uh, pressing that they had done earlier in the season and kind of got away from in in recent days. I just wonder why they didn't come out the second half doing
1: that. I I don't know. And I, and I, I said, like I tweeted while it was going on. I, I, I think that first half, this despite richmond not, not having pretty much any offense until the last 10 minutes was a win for them because they were able to weather that storm because chattanooga did look like they were going to score a couple times in that first half and like you said akira stood on his head and so if it, it's one of those things it's like use that as motivation to come out in the second half and then start your press you only have 45 minutes for your season and so the longer you wait i don't know if the plan was to wait till the 60th and then start it but you're giving yourself less time and so i really wish they would have came out with that same energy in the beginning of the second half
0: and i also uh, you, you know we we you mentioned akira again we've mentioned him in a bunch of times i think if they win this game akira has to be your oh, yeah you know it has to be up there it for your, your goalkeeper of the year yeah.
1: They need a statue in him uh, of him in Richmond if they <laughs> won that game because he, yeah. like you said, he had six saves, I think, in the first half and they were all like great saves, not just catching like these are all say one like, on ones with one of the best strikers in the league. Like, yeah, yeah no.
0: t- tips over the bar, of a ball that's car- curling into the upper mm-hmm. 90, you know, like things like that. Um, so anyway, so on the richmond goal um uh, i don 't remember who took it who who took the free kick uh because craft had, had had uh and and wape both had subbed out by then, but uh there was a free kick it went to the far side of the penalty area the ball bounced i mean you know we always I always yell at my uh you know two thousand and ten girls team like don 't let the ball bounce. Uh, but the ball bounced, actually, and Bolduc collect collected the ball and then hits a, a, a very hard low cross, like just above everyone's heads, um, except for Anderson, who finds it, finds himself completely unmarked right in the middle of the goal and yeah. kind of behind Mangles, and just heads it home easily.
1: I mean, if you're a Richmond fan, you want to look forward to something that's a player to look forward to. I think uh, when he came on, he's been exciting. He's he's brought a different level of energy to that offensive attack. And I think once you find someone that's more of the provider, um, you know, he, he can be a dangerous player. If Trizagi
0: comes back next year, it might be interesting to see some kind of 4-4-2 uh kind well, um, of you know, starting formation, which they you know they, they did occasionally, but you can have Anderson and Terzaghi together yeah. or have Terzagi you know hang back and play like a 4-4-1-1. Uh, I think that's what they
1: would do. They like having Terzagi play that four, like you know, kind of be that person to to pivot the offense, get it, get it to the sides, and then hit the box. Um right.
0: so I, I think that's exactly what they would do. That would be interesting. But in the ninetieth plus three, we had the game winner, like you said, Jason. Like uh, almost all the goals that mattered, this the, it happened in injury time. Uh, the, the, um, you know, which injury times are much longer because of the water breaks and stuff, of course. But, right. Um. But Mark Hernandez, it's That's what uh, he's done all year. Yeah, it's Richmond's death now because yep. you know one if Richmond doesn't win this game, basically the chances that that North Texas and uh, and Union Omaha would both drop points is was going to be pretty pretty low. So the fact that that Hernandez scored this was not good for for Richmond. And if it was Um, going to be
1: a player, it was going to be him, right? I remember earlier this year there was like a three game series in a row where he would sub in and and score with like he'd sub in with like 20 minutes left and would score the game winners or game tires. So
0: he's he's the difference maker, right? He's he's that impact sub. You know, he's like the definition of it. He's been doing it for at least the last couple of months for sure. Um, so, uh, you know, Ramos, uh, Jason Ramos gets the ball at the far touchline and just crosses the ball to the PK spot. And, you know, Richmond is pushing up. So they only had basically two players back at that point. And, uh, Marky Hernandez does what Marky Hernandez does. And he runs in front of Pavone. I, I wonder, you know, this is that, that point you were making Jason, where if Ian Antley's there, does he do a better job staying with Marky Hernandez than Pavone yep. does, you know, yep. the natural right back versus really a midfielder, you know, or winger, um, so I, I suspect that that he might have. Um, of course, there's no way to, to tell that. But um, but I do think that that, you know, one of the things that, that this game shows and, you know, the loss of, of a guy like Ian Antley shows is Richmond needs to find depth at at their fullback positions. Um, you know, I mean, a
1: couple positions. Right. Yep. You're absolutely right. You got fullback. Uh, I think up top they have brought in Anderson so that's good but I think they need a playmaker like a number 10 a natural number 10 up top and uh and then also you you uh, you talked about Ian, when Ian Antley went out that's when the whole that's when the whole team changed right that's when the yep. tactics had to change that's when they started losing they had trouble building up in you know from the offense because they're so used to him being able to push up and bring that pressure in midfield so yeah you're right I think depth is what killed them at the end
0: yeah all right, uh anything else on this match?
1: I just I feel for Richmond. That's it's to Oh, uh it's a little little spiciness uh from Chattanooga as you see Hernandez celebrating in in front of the Richmond fans, right, going directly to the stands oh, yeah, and celebrating. I know. Yeah, little, they were little, woo, They, mu- they were- so I'm assuming they must have been talking All game, you know, during the corners and everything, because I don't think naturally a player is just going to do that. Uh, If and if he does, then that's that's a sassy boy. (laughs)
0: Yeah, well, the the uh River City Red Army obviously uh, got under his skin, and uh, yeah, so yeah, and you know, obviously Chattanooga was happy to play the spoilers, and uh, you know, good for them to play for something, right? Because they had really nothing to play for, yep. Um, so the, the next match was forward Madison two versus new England revolution two scored one goal. Um, there were loads of posts and crossbars in this one. I only watched about 25 minutes of this match, but um, it, it, it was a decent match. I mean, quite frankly, it was a fun, fun game of soccer to watch. Um, you know, you J- had goals by Justin Rennox for new England and then uh, Noah Fusan got his uh, first goal as a professional um, and, uh, you know, my boy, Eric Leonard, he started the whole thing. So we could talk about that if you <laughs> want to go into detail and, uh, Yiroi Toyama. So a, the left back, gets, uh, um, gets a goal late in the match in the 83rd minute, not quite injury time, but. You
1: know, I love teasing you about name pronunciation. So when you buy, uh, when you buy a, uh, a certain Mediterranean sandwich or Greek sandwich that, you know, that has. Uh, possibly falafel in it that has chicken. Uh, what Oh, so you call it a gyro, but you call this boy Euro. That's why I don't understand because <laughs> the name
0: is <a> Giro. So, <laughs> I don't know. A gyro. I I, mean, I don't I don't,
1: I don't know either, but I'm just saying it's just funny to me. I, I wanted to see if you would call it a Euro or a gyro.
0: Well well, so I happen to know what his etymology of his name is, and I'm pretty sure his name is South American. So um so that's the reason why I uh, call them him Euro. But anyway, but it's probably Gyro. I, um, I was okay. Gotcha. <laughs> so he's a, Col- a Japanese well, Colombian.
1: Yeah, because I was going to say because I know his last sure. name
0: is definitely Toyama, which is Japanese. So right, but he's also Colombian. Um, on on, I'm guessing his mother's side. So I'm, I was wondering this, if that. This, was. Is,
1: this is what the people wanted. This is what they tuned <laughs> for.
0: <laughs> so anyway. Um, uh yeah so is there anything else that we need to talk about i mean this game didn't matter for the standings i mean it's you know it's it was worth a little bit of a watch um yeah It uh, it was
1: dope to see the the players and the fans interact with each other you know like the send off for the last game of the season i thought that was you know real especially in this league you know that's what it's all about um especially at a tough season for ford where they don't get to play at their home stadium um they have to play on a quidditch field there's a lot of questions going on with you know What was they? They had visa problems, right? And and so they didn't get the starters that they wanted, and then they had to deal with a couple injuries, and so tough season for them. So it was great to still see the fans go out and support them, and you wouldn't expect anything else other from Madison fans. And at
0: least Daryl Shore went out on a on a win, so he uh, he went out that way. And you know, quite frankly, New England did not play badly in that game. I mean, they they hit they hit the post. They. Um, they had a couple of pretty good chances, um, and, and
1: after they got after they got destroyed the week before, you know, the midweek, I was wondering how they would come out in that game
0: and whether or not they played different
1: players. But no, they they came out and they played well.
0: Yes, yeah, so statistics were pretty even across the board too. So it was just uh, the the one that mattered that that they didn't do, and the game that mattered. The other game that mattered after Richmond's loss was Union Omaha scored one versus Fort Lauderdale's zero. Um, there was, you know, the best chance of the whole game what before the goal happened was very early on, where um, Evan Conway hit the post on a header. Um, you know, other how many
1: times does that happen? How many times does Omaha hit the post on a header early I, in the game? I, I swear it happens it every Elma I mean,
0: Elma N4 did it a couple of weeks ago, uh-huh. right? Um, yeah, I mean, it happens frequently it seems um but otherwise you you know jason i didn't think the the rest of the chances in this game there were seven other shots that were taken that were on frame and none of them were particularly dangerous like you know the saves that were made were very routine
1: so Um, i i do think though that like when you look at like evan had a really good chance earlier and it was off frame and so when you look at that i think it kind of it doesn't tell the whole story i think that omaha had great chances but like you said they didn't put them like those were the ones that weren't on frame.
0: And then the ones that were 30 yards out, you know, going yeah. for the banger, that was the ones just going directly. to well, the it, right? And it was definitely a frenetic game. I mean, I even put like another frenetic match by Union mm-hmm. Omaha at Warner park. And I think part of that's because of the the size of the field and just the way that Omaha plays with all that energy and just, you know, pressing and counter pressing all the time. Um, you know, there were 37 shots in this game. <laughs> yeah. I mean, 37, yeah. No. 21 by Omaha, 16 by Fort Lauderdale. And we know that, you know, it's pretty unusual for Fort Lauderdale if they get 16 shots it's pretty unusual for them not to finish a couple because they have good finishers and
1: I was going to say they had some good chances too there's a couple that I'm sure Ricky was upset that he didn't get in and uh Edward there there there's definitely chances uh for Fort Lauderdale so the longer that Omaha was able to hold that off I thought that they had a chance uh but then I'm not gonna lie you got to the final 15 10 minutes I was like I don't know if they're gonna pull this off because they just you know it was just chance after chance but like you said they were just routine saves it was none of them that were really close calls and and then a a moment of brilliance from a player who I think definitely should be player of the month right he just when Omaha needed these wins he's been the one to score the goals he's been the ones to put the back you know the team on his back when they needed him to so you know friend of the
0: podcast Ira you want to talk about the goal? Yeah, we got to talk about it because who Jason is talking about is Evan Conway because in the 90th minute plus one, he gets a – I don't want to say it was a pass, but but let's work through this goal because this was a typical Union Omaha counter-pressing goal because they, they counter-pressed around midfield. Omaha wins the ball. Elma N4 like, drives forward, kind of runs into two, two defenders. And I do want to highlight – like a
1: lot of credit in this play goes to n for keeping Absolutely. that ball alive and it was I don't think it was really shouted out on the on the during the during the game, but he
0: saved that whole season by keeping that ball alive, so he's on the ground basically surrounded <laughs> surrounded by Fort Lauderdale players, and he I don't know if he actually saw the run that Devin Boyce was making down the right-hand side, but he clearly wanted to try to get the ball toward the corner flag and Elma Enfor from the ground makes this acrobatic, um, you know, kick and um, and gets the ball out to Boyce and Boyce is then wide open because, because the person who would have been covering Boyce, the left back had cut pinched inside to cover Elma. Um, So Boyce is out there pretty much by himself, but he is closed down very nicely by Fort Lauderdale, and boys, just like lofts a ball. I don't even know it was like a rainbow. Like yeah, it, it, it was, was a big arching like ball just into the middle, which should have been cleared by a center back. I mean, let me just say that that almost any other team, like if it, if you were against Greenville, or you were against Forward Madison, or you you were even against Richmond, that ball is cleared by a center back. Yeah, no doubt in my mind. Yeah. Three different, no less than three different Fort Lauderdale players tried to head the ball, and all three missed not so, like graze their head or anything literally mistime time jumps and missed the ball I, I've never been a field
1: player so I just have to I just have to assume it's just during frantic moments you just kind of it it becomes more of I, I you're losing your inability to remember your your tactics and your form and in your and you just are trying your best to prevent a goal in your not thinking properly because you can look at them the way they were trying to clear it. Nobody was actually trying to look at the projection of the ball. Nobody was trying to, to guard anybody. It was just literally like frantically everyone ball watching and trying, like jumping like salmon going upstream.
0: And then no one, no one came close to clearing well, it. Well, I do wonder if the arc of the ball, put it into the lights at the baseball stadium um, that Warner park is. So that is possible. I'm not okay. going to completely discount that. Okay. That has happened to me on more than one occasion, personally. Just you know, playing at okay. um, at the fields shipping, where I play.
1: Shifting the blame, I like it. I, I'm but, listening,
0: <laughs> but nonetheless, someone should have you know gotten it, but they didn't. Oh, yeah. And and the ball bounced twice and wound up right at a uh, um, you know Evan Conway hit it on the half volley yeah. and far post, and it was just it was a great finish. And uh, that that so interesting, Evan Conway. He scored the first goal in Union Omaha history, and now he scored the goal that puts him into the finals.
1: Yeah, he, like I said, and he, the past month has been out of his mind. I think he's had like four goals and two assists. Like he's, he's been playing. Like we talked about Ethan Vanicor Decker being such a key player to them, you know, for the season. But I think the last month or two, you know, Evan's been the one to where one thing about Omaha is, you know, they were drawing all year, right? It was literally just getting points when they can, but then they got to a position where if they were going to make this championship, they had to win games and they depended on Evan. And like I talked about everyone in that moment had this frantic kind of just, you know, ridiculous, trying to get the clear of the ball, no form except for Evan who took a great fo- like he he did exactly what he needed to do on that half volley, right it was one of those things to where he didn't rush the shot he didn't try to bring it down he knew exactly what he needed to do and he finished it
0: yeah and uh, you know uh, i'll shout out my uh, uh, my interview with Ethan Vanacore Decker from earlier this week so look back in your podcast feed to Uh, listen to that but you know one of the things that we talked about with him was you know the the effort that they do in order to press right so you know they play basically a 4-4-2 with you know Evans one of those two guys up front in this case it was him and and Elma N4 and you know those guys do a lot of work because they also get back and they counter press and press and it's not um, it's not easy to, to play in those positions and I agree with you I mean Evan Conway has been, you know, definitely a bright spot. But in fairness, you know, it is a team game. I mean, the fact is if Elma N4 doesn't, you know, Absolutely. Yeah. doesn't do what he did. And if whoever, I don't remember who won the ball, but whoever won the ball and got the ball up forward to Elma, you know, whoever didn't do that, that whole play doesn't happen. Now Interestingly, it wouldn't have mattered because at the end of the day, they still would have gone to the finals because of the just they would have had one more point than uh, North Texas, and as it turns out, but um, but nonetheless, you know, great way to end the season, and you know, Evan Conway, like you said, has been doing it all season. He did it the first game of the season, and he did it the last. So
1: my. My thing, yeah, and, and I think it is. It's just the composure. Or it wasn't
0: the first game, actually, it wasn't the first game of the season, was it? It was like the third game. Of the no, season, yeah, but it yeah. was their first goal because uh, their first two games were nil nil draws. But the composure, I think that's
1: you know what I mean, like with knowing that was that last shot, most likely one of your last chances of the game. The season is on the line, and like I said, having the composure to hit it in form with technique. Uh, while everyone else is literally just running, rapid <laughs> into the box, just do like flopping around. I, I, that 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 boy's cold. You
0: got to yeah. give him credit.
1: That boy's cold.
0: That, definitely. So, um, you know, Fort Lauderdale had a lot of the ball in this game. They had over sixty percent possession. Um, mm-hmm. And which, uh, which you wouldn't expect. I mean, you wouldn't expect anything else from Omaha. No, right? that's they, def, that's definitely true. But and they, but at the same time, they also had which you do you wouldn't expect. They had twenty seven clearances. Yeah. So you know what that's telling you, or, or what tells me. And obviously, you know, I watched the game, so I saw this. Omaha had the ball in the final third of Fort Lauderdale plenty of times. Um, you know, they were able to do those. You know, two three. Three passes and get the ball forward uh, quite quite frequently. Um, now, who didn't have a terrible game either. I mean, he only faced a couple of shots, but um, and none of them was particularly hard. But um, well, this,
1: we'll we'll talk about it in the in the preview of the championship. Nuhu scares me at times. Yeah. Um, I think he's one of those that he'll come up with a brilliant save, and then at other times you'll notice like so. At towards the end of the game, there is a ball that he could have just saw out and. Omaha would have you know, been able to bleed the clock and run it, and instead he, he touches it for some reason and gives Fort Lauderdale a corner, and it's one of those things like, what are you doing, right? And it's just like, he has these moments of brilliant saves and then he'll go and he punches Ronaldo Damas in the back of the head, and so you just, <laughs> you don't know what you're going to get with this boy, so we'll talk
0: about it more when we preview the, the final. Alright, and uh, so since we have one more match to do, and we're already at 43 minutes into our, our show tonight, uh, let's do our last Match of the season. This was down in uh, Arlington, Texas. North Texas Soccer Club scored two against South Georgia Tormenta, who scored one. Um, so let, let me say this just to start us off, Jason. Um, I think that the stadium in Arlington has, uh, which is Globe Life Park, has much better football lines than either, uh, where yeah. Madison played or, uh, or Fonzborough for doing yeah. England.
1: I don't, don't, yeah, it's not even close. It's not even close. The, although New England's brings entertainment because it's like playing on a gym. Uh, so it's like, <laughs> if you're used to playing indoor soccer and you like playing it in a bigger space
0: outdoor, then that's your field to go to. Cause that's exactly what it looks like playing in New England. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, so, uh, you know this this game was kind of your typical North Texas game. They had a lot of the ball, sixty six percent possession, four hundred and fifty passes, twenty nine crosses, twenty two yeah. shots for North Texas. Twenty two nine they did on not, target. They did
1: not hold back. Uh, they you could tell that they wanted to win this game, and they did not hold back. And um, you know they they're they're naturals. You have your Arturo. He went and he played a great game. Thomas Roberts went out there played a great game um yeah and they were just attacking but props to uh props to tormenta for being able to withhold it right they were one of the things to where defensively they look sound and then you know we talk about another player of the month candidate uh no uh vinyals with the free kick took that opportunity put him up going into the half and for a minute i was like well wait a second tormenta might be playing spoiler because for north texas to be attacking this much and not being able to get through and then tormenta being able to to get a goal up, then it just makes it that much of a higher hill to climb.
0: Yeah, the Vigneault's free kick in the forty fifth plus three was uh, it was exactly twenty four yards away. We we know that thanks to the American football lines. Uh, beautiful shot. I, I'm impressed that Avalez even got a finger on it because he did. It just wasn't quite enough to um, to, to steer it out for a corner. Um, so you know, g- great great kick. Let, let me let me say this before we get into the other goals. Um, so Rotor Rodriguez, I, and you can check me here, but I'm pretty sure he played just the last nine games of the season. Um, is, is that right? He played half the season basically? I um, think so. uh, Yes, yes, yes. So so he played eight or nine games of the season. Um, during that period of time, North Texas had six wins, two draws, and one loss. And that one loss was away to Greenville.
1: Yeah. No, I mean, so, he, he would have he, easily been the MVP of the league uh, if the uh, league again. was the full season. Yeah, yeah.
0: I mean, it's it's like, you know, if Ettore Rodriguez isn't on this team the way that it's set up right now, or someone who's very a very similar caliber, can North Texas compete in this league? And I'm not sure that they can. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, it, it's amazing how important he is, even though a lot of times you watch him and he plays well, but you're like, okay, you know, Roberts plays well or or Ronaldo Davis plays well. Like, you can point to other people playing well too, but, you know, Ettore just, he does something to this team that is unique and interesting that, that I can't quite put my finger on other than just playing well, which One other th- people have done. One thing about
1: him is mentally he reads the game so well. And I, when I think when you're playing with younger players like North Texas – Does that's important to be able to have A player spot what's happening And be able to fill in that gap Explain to the players what need to happen Or go do it himself so when you watched Him play this season last year He used to go and get the ball And really spark that offensive attack Right started in his own half this year That was Thomas Roberts doing that right like Eventually when Arturo came back Thomas Roberts starting to go went back to get the ball And Arturo was able to then read It and see okay the left side is The weakness we need to start overlapping the left side or he would go okay I need to turn my back to goal and do these hold up plays to allow the wings to go up because we have space on the side he reads the game so well and because of that there's no real game plan for him outside of man the man marking but there's not too many players in this league who can man the man mark him and be able to control him and so he draws so much attention and because of that he makes everyone around him so much better watching him was like watching Jason Kidd play in basketball he just makes his team better because because he's able to read the game so well. And yeah, when, when, if this season went any longer, I'm no, no, no doubt it would have been a repeat of last year's finals because North Texas has been the best team in the, in the last half of the season.
0: Yep. For sure. Um, you know, like I said, they were, went, uh, nine, or what, six, two, and one in, in the last, uh, nine games. Um, uh, so, shall we go through the goals quickly? I mean, I'll, I'll say yeah. statistics wise, you know, the one interesting statistic that jumps out by me, other than the fact that North Texas completely outshot Tormenta, was they had 10 corners to South Georgia Tormenta's zero. Um, yeah. so that was the one super once,
1: once tormenta thing. put up that goal it was like all right let's try to lock it down let's yeah and that, and that and, doesn't work against it Texas, doesn't.
0: they're just gonna they're just gonna pass around to you a billion times it
1: almost did though because because we'll we'll talk about the first goal and then we'll, we'll talk about the
0: second goal because yeah.
1: that second goal is ridiculous and, and,
0: and which is fair yeah i mean this it could have easily been a draw because but nikki hernandez makes a great run in the 47th minute um he gets into traffic and and his close control mm-hmm. ball control was was amazing. Um, no one from Torment is able to tap it away from him, and he gets this little pass off to uh, Edwin Munjoma, and um, and and Munjoma just one times it back to him, and you know Hernandez Hernandez finishes right under uh, you know underneath uh, Hara, and that was a very 2019 type passing <laughs> move for uh, for North Texas. Like, you know, you know, you, that, that's the kind of thing last year we would have been like, yep. Oh, look, it's, you know, Ronaldo Damas makes a run and he passes the ball to da- David Rodriguez and David passes it back. And, you know, Damas scores, you know, like it's the same kind of thing. And it, it's what makes North Texas so dangerous all the time.
1: And I, I will say, I know we talked about, you know, uh, would North Texas be able to hang in the league, there was a lot of players who, who started playing later in the season, who started looking good and you question, okay, if they were playing at the beginning, because North Texas has played more players than any other team in this league, right? Like the people who were starting from North Texas this year are not really starting anymore. Right. Like, and so when you look at players like Burgess, when you look at players like Hernandez, like these are, these are players who have shown abilities or you're like, Oh, okay, wait a second. These kids are balling. And so I do wonder with a longer season you know, in those kids being able to play and solidify their spots, I think North Texas will be fine. I just don't think that they're going to be championship caliber without having Arturo there.
0: Yeah, uh, or someone like him for sure. Right. Yeah. So, ninetieth um, plus six, and there was only supposed to be six minutes of injury time in the second half. Listen, it was it was the last
1: kick. St- I think it was literally like. The 95th minute and forty-seven second. second. I know. It was a
0: 96 20, It was ninety six twenty three 23. Wow. Or 95 23. Excuse me. 95 right. 23. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, so Aviles collected the ball and he just puts the ball down instead of, you know, trying to punt it. Right. So he puts the ball down, drives the ball downfield about 70 something yards and um, uh, 20 yards into the, uh, um, into the tormenta half, Burgess heads the ball on into the path of Munjoma, um, Monge- who was was already running. And uh, you know, yeah. obviously, Burgess meant to do that or something like that. But it just turned out to be so perfect that Munjoma um, uh, is able just to settle the ball and slots it home for the winner past past Hara. Yep, and I think when you look at the subs, that makes
1: the difference. So. North Texas brought in the attacking subs, uh, in the second half, you know, especially with Ryo with Colin Smith, um, and Monjomo just being young is able to apparently run forever. Um, and so meanwhile, Tormenta, they brought in like Jamga gun, they brought us Lucas Coutinho. And so their center backs were exhausted. <laughs> and so nobody is trying to track a run at the last second of the game from a 70 yard boot downfield. and you know, North Texas made them pay for it. Yeah. Um, Anything else about this one, Jason? No, I mean, you know, shout out to North Texas still putting in that grit, even though they probably did find out, you know, in the 78th minute or whatever it was that they – you know, weren't going to be able to play in the finals, but you know, they they
0: didn't give up, and so it was important for them to go out with a the win. They should have been playing Union Omaha in the semifinals yeah. um, at a place where they lost earlier in the season. To, that would have been a, that would have been a fun game. Uh, that, that would have been a fun game. Imagine this this immovable object versus the uh, unstoppable force, right? <laughs> um, okay, so we're gonna before we preview the finals, which we will do. So this will be a long episode. So we hope you'll stay with us. But we're gonna do something that we found really fun to do um, the last couple of, uh, the the last couple of days. And that is the ready for the next level 11. So we're going to each pick some players and there will be some overlap because, you know, we know a few of who each other has picked, but not necessarily everyone. Um, and we're going to say, these are the players that we think are ready to go to USL championship or major league soccer. Now we do have a couple of caveats here. Firstly, We each have to have at least six teams represented. I actually have eight teams represented in mine. Jason. Show off. Yeah. Yo, do do you have, how many teams do you have? Do you know?
1: One, two, three, four. So
0: as he counts, I'll I'll let you know this. They cannot have played in the USL championship or major league soccer, but they could have played overseas. I've got eight. You've got eight also. Yeah. Yeah, I figured figured you probably did. Um, I, I was wondering if you had nine, maybe. Um, Anyway, so th- this would be a fun team, like at least my team. I think if you had them and and they were kind of like a uh, a, a mini all star team, and they they could play against like you know the Fulham U twenty three team or something like that. Yeah, like, that would be fun.
1: And just to let people know, it's hard because a lot of players who you were you like, for instance, like we you know Brandon Fricky is obviously someone who's just like, yeah, he's ready. He should be playing the next, and then you see that he played one damn game for the Charlotte independence. So it makes them ineligible for us to choose them. So you're, you'd be surprised if you go and look at these players past, how many of them played in USL championship for like three games and then just never got the chance to consistently play. Uh, so yeah, that's why they weren't uh, included
0: in. Yeah, in exactly. So guys like Arturo Rodriguez and Breck Evans, like those guys are ineligible because they, they played in a couple of USL championship games. Um, so um I'm playing in a 433 by the way in case you um in, in case that matters to you uh, Jason I- I'm playing in some weird Christmas tree lineup thing that doesn't make <laughs> sense. It, a, a reversal Christmas tree. I don't know what you, this. You've is. You've, uh, you've inverted the pyramid. Re- reinverted the pyramid. This is
1: me choosing the best players, and then just we'll 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 do it live. <laughs> we'll, right. we'll figure uh, it
0: that, out. That's fine. Okay, so so I, I'm gonna I'm gonna give you the positions that I have then, and I'll I'll start off uh, with our with goalkeeper. Um, so so we I just picked,
1: go back and forth. Like yeah, you'll do your
0: goalkeeper, I'll do mine. And yeah, exactly. We'll, we'll we'll go back and forth. Yeah. Uh, so I uh, I picked Joe Rice from New England Revolution too. Uh, Twenty four years old. That's baby a baby in goalkeeper years. Um, so he, he's he played only nine games, but he had forty five saves in those nine games. Three clean sheets. I think if he stays healthy, he might be he might be a decent guy for someone to pick up as a, you know, a spot starter, maybe a, uh, uh, you know, a championship team and, you know, to, to play either in a rotation with someone else. And yeah, you know, in a couple of years, if he, uh, you know, again, if he stays healthy and he continues to improve the way that I think he, he has the last, uh, the, the last season, um, I think he's someone who can move up.
1: Yep. And that was who
0: I had. Um, I think you're, you're exactly right. The one thing that I
1: think, Uh, that is important that he's slowly improving on and that you can look forward to in the future is his distribution. I think in the beginning, he wasn't the greatest of passing keepers. um, But when you went, when um, New England started getting it together and they went on their run, a lot of it also was his ability to start off that attack. Um, And so his distribution got better throughout the season. And yep, he was my keeper too. I agree with you. All right.
0: So your turn. How about a center back?
1: Yeah, so uh, I think we both have one. So I'm going to say the the one that I don't think we both have. I'm going with Niall Logue from FC oh. Tucson. Uh, I think that quietly Niall has been an incredible player this year, and he's the only Tucson player, I believe, to play every single minute of every game. He's in top 10 in almost every defensive category when he talks about clearances, and, and he's just – He's a, he's a rock of a player, and he's also somebody who has great passing from the back and has sparked a couple of attacks and has had, I think, um, how many key passes did he have? He, he's had a, a good amount of key passes, and, you know, this is somebody that I think is is built and ready for uh, the next level. Um, and so, you know, even gets on there. He had four shots on target, was, was kind of, uh, I don't like comparing players, but, you know, reminiscence of the Kyle Venter role uh that they had last year and so i I think that he's
0: somebody who i have no issue with plugging in into a usl championship side so nilo great uh great shout there um so i'm gonna i'm gonna start with my center back so you know very quietly jason i think most people don't realize this but we all know that greenville is the lockdown defense and they had the least goals scored against them they had nine clean sheets right so you know it had to be but very quietly forward madison had the second best defense in the league So, I actually, my back line is going to have two people from the forward Madison back oh, okay. line. And, um, but my center back, uh, that, that I'm going to choose is going to be Josiah Trimingham, who's a Trin- Trinidadian uh, international. Um, he played in 13 games, won 59 duels, 38 aerial duels, won, um, had 71 clearances in those 13 games. Um, and, you know, you know, only, you know, again, they, Madison, even though they, they didn't finish well on the table, they only conceded 14 goals in 16 matches. So less than a goal per game. And uh, they're the only team besides Greenville to have done that this season. So, um, so, uh, you know, anything, what was trimming him on,
1: on your list yep. as well? That was, that was my other center back. And I will say I hundred percent agree with you. He, uh, he honestly, if, you know, putting together my team of the year is somebody that I'm considering, I think, when he played, he was lights out. Um, more also important with him was his controlling in the midfield. So for someone at that size to be able to get up and go into the midfield and help with the attack, and more importantly, be able to stay with these players one-on-one from a midfield position, right. And, you know, chasing them back during the long balls with their through ball, you know, he, he excelled this year in
0: that. So I think he's, he's ready. And he got an assist just this week. Uh, actually, that, uh, <laughs> yeah. that, that gyro Toyama goal was actually his assist, although he didn't really do that much for it. It was a simple square pass, but nonetheless, he was there to uh to do it um so so why don't I give my other center back then um I'm gonna give my other center back is Josh Phelps uh played 13 games 52 clearances 21 interceptions as a center back that's pretty impressive Mm -hmm. um South Georgia Tormenta you know didn't have a great season but I think Josh over the last two seasons impressed I mean he had played for Tormenta when they were in USL what's now USL League 2 um and uh you, you know just you know, the fact that he won 59 duels in those 13 games, I think it just shows how much of a lockdown defender he can be. And, uh, um, and, you know, so he would be my other center back if I had to choose. And, one.
1: and let's not forget attacker of the year, right? They plugged him <laughs> up top the last couple games of the season and he was scoring and, and having assist, right? So apparently he's, he's uh, versatile enough to where he can play both, sides of the field so yeah Uh, and then (laughs) last year he had a stellar he had a stellar season too right so it's one of those things to where if he's able to do it two years in a row then you know he's ready for the next
0: level there you go all right you want to give me your left back
1: yes so this one's probably going to surprise you i was originally going to go with dami uh uh uh, damier vider for for omaha i think he's played incredible this season and i think he is someone that probably is ready uh but you know i'm actually going with sammy kadiri from fort lauderdale i looked at the stats and then i went back and I, I i was watching him and 34 interceptions is wild it's and it's definitely one of the top in the leagues you know uh 22 tackles won um t- 32 clearances and the the thing the reason why i'm picking him over Dami because Dami does you know, does really well getting into the attack. Sammy, I think you can plug in in different places. And so a lot of times this year when Fort Lauderdale, because they push up so much – Sammy was able to shift over into the midfield and you really saw him excel. And so you and I were talking about it a little bit. That's someone I think you can plug in as a number six and he would still hold his own fine because of that ability for him to get those interceptions, to make those tackles and to, to go from side to side. So I think he's ready for the next level because of that. And because you can plug him in, in different positions.
0: So I think Dami Vieter, um, I, I think that he could do it as well. He's 22 years old. He played 13 matches this year, 24 interceptions. 24 tackles um i I didn't pick him uh, you know firstly because i think maybe he needs another year to develop um and secondly uh you know and this is like a really weird reason is because of his his passport issues um and he's uh spanish like i'm not sure if like a championship team would would use a international spot Mm. on someone who might not be a kind of an immediate starter so so instead So instead, for my left back, I pick someone else who um, I'm pretty sure doesn't have uh, those same passport issues, but that's uh, Jairo Toyama, 25-year-old Japanese Columbian uh, descent, born in Panama, by the way. in Panama yeah, city.
1: I, I'm not even going to guess what, it, how to pronounce his name then. Cause now you're, you're really throwing me all kind of different.
0: I hear you. Um, so anyway, he played all 16 matches. He played in all 16 matches with 14 starts for, uh, um, for forward Madison this year. And, um, uh, you know, that scored one goal. The one, the one that we mentioned last week, that was just a banger from like 25 yards out, uh, eight key passes, 23 tackles, 24 clearances, 29 interceptions. So, you know, even though, um, um, you know, Kadiri had you said 34, but 29s very solid for an outside back. So I, I think you know a low to mid table, you know, USL Championship team would would find uh, Toyama as an interesting uh, prospect.
1: And, and he's just relentless, right? The energy is nonstop. So it's one of those things to where whether he comes into the game as a sub. I, you can see the players are just are not looking forward to because they know he's going to be a handful. Whether he's running with the attack, whether he's going back on defense to to recover, he he's definitely somebody that that brings a spark.
0: Yeah. So I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna start with right back, which this one might surprise some people. Um, but we mentioned him a whole bunch of times already today, and and the fact that he wasn't in the lineup the last couple of uh, the last month or so for the Richmond Kickers, but that's Ian Antley. Um, so I'm gonna say Ian. Uh, you know, if he stays healthy, I think he could be up there. The the other one who I considered seriously was Cesar Mario uh, from uh, from Greenville. I thought he had a really solid season. Um, but, um, but, but I, I, think Ian was a little bit kind of more important. And I think physically he'd be able to deal with a lot of the, uh, a lot of the wingers, uh, better maybe than Mario in, in the championship.
1: You think physically he would be Ian?
0: Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry,
1: I'm. I'm sorry.
0: <laughs> Ian, I, I, Ian, physically thought, could take I out thought, anyone in the right, whole league. You know, I thought hard. you were
1: saying Caesar was more. Okay, my bad. I'm. I'm doing too much. I was about to say. <laughs> I, I thought you were saying Caesar was more physical than Ian, and I was about to be like, wait a second.
0: <laughs> no way. <laughs> so I mean, I'm. I'm scared of Ian. Just thinking about him. Yeah. Uh, so, so who who was your right back, Jason?
1: Yeah. So I actually had Ian as well, and it was one of those things to where I, I. Was hesitant because the playing sample size isn't as much as I would like it to be, um, but I do think what he what he might lack in experience, he does make up in athleticism and physicality, so yeah, that was mine yeah. as well.
0: And he's still learning too, obviously, so may, maybe Indy 11 will take him and put, yeah. it, put him and his brother together on the same team, that could be fun. Yeah. Um your defensive midfielder if you have one or or just a midfielder. I don't know how you how you've set up your, your Yeah,
1: team. I don't I don't have too too much defense of a of a midfield. I so I wanna give an honorable mention. Um and I don't know if you would per se call him a defensive midfielder, but Noah Pilato was someone that I really was looking yeah, to try to he's, squeeze. He's, in he's a six
0: or an eight. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Sure. So, so that would probably be if I did have to choose a six, that's who I would be, but no, we're going all offensive uh, with this midfield. And so uh, Marco Micheletto, I mean, nice. it's a no brainer yeah. for me. Absolutely. You know, he just, it, there's no, he played tremendously last season, played tremendously this season. Um, I don't know where Tormenta would be, if everyone stayed healthy, um, and and he was able to, and have they didn't his, only have thirteen
0: yeah. players available right. for some games. <laughs> so,
1: so I mean, yeah. yeah, for him to you know tie you know first in the league with the you know, most chances created, him being able to score. Um, I think he was their highest goal scoring for the team. So that yeah, sounds yeah. about right,
0: like with five or something. Not yeah, uh,
1: him and him and Minow's might have the same amount, but yeah, right. I think uh, I think he's just ready.
0: He's he's just a dynamic yes. player. So I had Marco as well. Thirty-six chances created. Great, great individual player. You know, he needs more. I think more consistent players around him, like you mentioned, and and you know, if they just build that chemistry, then I think he could be a an interesting player for Tormenta to build around for for next year. Um, he just
1: needs to. He needs to. He needs the. And it might be because of the situation, but I would like to see him distribute more and not try to take on so much himself,
0: right? Right. And, yeah. Because you know, and, you have other goal scorers like Rowe and those guys right. when they're on the field, they 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 can score. Too. I think.
1: I think once he learns how. To to how to get rid of the ball in those situations and make that decision quicker instead of keeping it himself then he'll he's going to be an elite player yeah
0: um Okay. So I'm going to go with my defensive midfielder. Then my, uh, I'm going to pick Eric Leonard. Of course, he has never played in MLS or USL championship. Um, I think he could slot in very easily in like a double pivot, uh, to be one of the number sixes. I know sometimes he plays center back. I don't like him there personally. I think he's much better as a number six distributing, you know, kind of midfield destroyer. Uh, he played all 16 games this year for forward Madison, 26 interceptions, 17 tackles, 40 completed passes per 90 minutes. I mean, that's, that's crazy. Pretty, pretty decent. Yeah. Um, 78% passing accuracy total, which, you know, 80% is good for like an attacking midfielder. For a D mid, uh, you know, 78% is very solid. 542 completed passes in those 16 games. So, yeah, you know, I mean, it's not a surprise that, that you know, I, I'm a big fan of his. And, and you look, at, I mean, he actually got the key pass and, you know, the MLS assist actually on uh, – um on one of the goals that just this weekend for forward madison and their win in the final day
1: yep i purposely didn't choose him because i knew you would and so that's <laughs> why i said we'll just go all offensive with my midfield yeah.
0: and I, i'm guessing <laughs> both for both of our second ones we have mm-hmm. the same person as well yeah. i mean there's, there's no reason you, why we shouldn't you say he's a friend of the show so why don't yeah. you just say his name yeah charlie dennis
1: second year in a row leading in the league and He's just, he's just ready, right? Like physically he's versatile. You can put him anywhere. Uh, he, I think he's better up at the 10. Uh, but if you need at the six to come back and get the ball and start, he can do that. He's somebody that gets score and has, you know, goal scoring ability, but yeah, his vision is just incredible, right? Like, Tucson became one of the fun teams to watch and he was the pivot of it with his through balls, with his ability to bring in defenders. He's, he's ready. I I mean, I don't know what else to say. Um, especially if he's about to get a green card, I think it's an easy decision as soon as he gets that green card for USL championship teams.
0: You're on mute. I agree. Even if you just bring him off the bench and uh, you know play him for the last thirty or thirty-five minutes or something like that as a as an attacking threat, um, you know, you know uh, for for a year or something, I think that that would be. Um, that that would be, I don't want to say a no brainer, but I think that he could probably fit in a, any number of teams. Uh, oh yeah. I think it's a um, no brainer.
1: In th- yeah. like his size, his, his versatility. Like I, I think, yeah, you can like any player that can play in three different positions, have that kind of vision, have the skill on the ball, have that
0: finishing ability. I, I truly
1: think it's a no brainer. I right. think he's ready.
0: So I have someone for the bench, uh, another honorable mention. I think he needs another year probably to develop a little bit, but the 20 year old forward Madison uh, uh, number 10, Michael Vang, 13 mm-hmm. games, 86% passing accuracy, four goals, two assists, 26 key passes, second only to Paulo Jr. on the team. Um, so, you know, I think as they integrate whoever the new coach for Forward Madison is, assuming they can keep him, I think he could develop into an interesting player. So, you know, if you're, if you're, you know, if you're a USL championship team, you know, maybe take a look and, and see if he can fit in your, uh, yeah. uh to fit in and you know maybe get some uh a few dollars over to forward madison in a transfer
1: it's scary to think what ford season would have looked like without him
0: because early yeah. in the
1: season they couldn't get anything going he came in and sparked them had all the key passes had all the assists was scoring the goals himself was there, was they didn't even have a, a really good free kick taker right and so he came in and, and changed the dynamic of their whole season so yep that's it a, that's, a, that's a good shout
0: yeah i mean it's interesting that uh you know for as poor as um as Ford Madison was this year in the table i actually have four well three players plus vang in, in that in on my list which i think is is interesting in and of itself of course are mostly the de- defensive players right i right. have two, two guys in the back line and, and eric leonard and um so but but you know he would be the one offensive person on that team that that someone should look at um uh, so do you have a you have a winger or another midfielder i don't know I, how you're doing yeah I got, or, you're okay, I got two wingers okay me too wingers. okay so so give me your first winger then
1: you want me to go left or right? Cause I think we, we both have the same, right. So I'll go left then.
0: Okay. Well, who's your First, left? Uh, I got Shaq Adams. Oh, nice. Okay, good. Yeah. yeah. So he's I, your Fort Lauderdale player. Yeah. No um, Tucson. Oh, Tucson. Tucson. Excuse yeah. me. Another Tucson player. Uh, okay. Yeah. My Fort Lauderdale was Sammy.
1: Um, but oh, that's it. Okay. yeah, uh, I mean, it's, it's, he's ready, right? I don't know why he's playing this league to begin with, <laughs> uh, was drafted by Nashville. It didn't work out, but I mean, his, his skill on the ball, his speed, his finishing ability, his his uh, his unselfishness to where he gives up the ball like down the line, he sets plays up for his team and other people. He's ready. Uh, there's there's nothing more. I didn't even get to play the full season, but the season when he did play, he was spectacular. He was the player to watch for on that team, and can take anybody in this league one on one. So yeah, he's ready.
0: It's and it's uh, and ha- have we determined that he's might be the fastest player in the league too?
1: I I mean other people like other players are going to always say that there's someone on their team is the fastest in the league but I really don't know of anyone off the top of my head that I feel is faster than Shaq Adams because he's just he like I said anyone one on one he was going to beat and you know statistically you look at him and if you didn't watch the league you're like oh well I mean he had four goals he had four he had two assists three key passes it doesn't seem like an impactful player but the issue with him is he's a one on one player right so Charlie Dennis gets him a through ball or Charlie Dennis gets him in the space one on one it's over you can stop watching because he he's either going to make uh make an attack happen where he's going to get an assist or or almost an assist or he's just going to go one-on-one and be his defender and when you have that kind of talent and skill you know like put that up against some some bigger guys some some more veteran guys some faster guys i i need to see him in usl championship or
0: i i have to say i did not watch enough of tucson um to you know to to have someone like like Adams pop up on the top of my head. But we did talk about him a lot quite earlier in the season yeah. when Tucson was still had a – And, had and a that's the thing, he the got
1: injured, right? I don't think he played anymore, but, like, uh, I think he played 12 games, but he okay. only started nine of them, right? So he was subbed off a lot. But, yeah, I think he's just one of those players when you look at – you're in a playoff and it's the 70th minute, it's 1-1, and you need a difference maker.
0: He's the one that's going to come in and win you the game. Yeah. Um, so, I'm going to go with my left winger as Greg Hurst. Um, I mean, not, not a big surprise. Chattanooga Red Wolves, obviously, eight goals of 25 shots. So, you know, pretty efficient uh, goal scorer, though um, also can't beat a 16 year old goalkeeper. Um, he was, you know, he's also good at counter pressing, uh, he's good at getting into dangerous positions off the ball, works hard. Um, and, uh, you know, so I think was, you know, did a lot of, a lot of the Chattanooga offense was, was thanks to him, whether it was, uh, when he had the ball or when he didn't. So, um, so I'm going to go with Greg Hurst. I think we've talked about him so much this season. I don't know what else we have to say.
1: Yeah, he, he was, I have a dual striker, uh, system and he's, he's one of my strikers for, for the formation and only 23. I don't know why, I guess, because he's played in so many different leagues, you know, when he was overseas, I thought that he was older. He's only 23. And right. so yeah. that just shows you that, you know, yeah, he's, he's ready.
0: Yeah. And your right winger, I think, or it might be another strike. It might be a striker. I don't know what kind of system, but uh, he's,
1: he's a, he's a flex. He can play both. Uh, and I think it's someone that we both probably have. It's Ronaldo Damas.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's, just no brainer. Last year's golden boot winner, right? Like, even though he didn't have like a great, great season this year, he still scored five goals. Yeah. Uh- <laughs> Yeah. And I think he I don't
1: think he was meant like last year, he was his goal, like his his he was told to score goals. And this year I think it was more be involved in the offense and don't just necessarily score, but also create, right? He still he had three assists this year as well. Yeah, um right. and then defensively, you know, he went back and, and had some tackles and And I think he was a lot more involved in the game in general as opposed to last year where
0: you kind of saw him wait up top and wait for those through
1: balls from Arturo and and the rest of the guys.
0: All right. Um, so then my striker, cause in my four, three, three, I need a cent- central guy. So I had briefly thought about, uh, Trezaghi and, you know, knowing that he was 30 years old and I'm like, okay, so maybe he could be an interesting impact sub off the bench. You know, right. when you want to go from a four, two, three, one to a four, four, two, and as a second striker kind of guy up there for a season or two. So maybe, but I didn't pick him instead. Okay. I picked probably the same person you did, which has to be Greenville's Lachlan McLean. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's got to be, I mean, this guy, you know, is, is great. I mean, he's an Australian, he scored seven goals, had two assists, seven other chances created and, and, you know, played in all 16 games. Um, Yeah. You know, it was interesting that, that, you know, we, Jake Keegan was a big goal scoring threat last year for Greenville, but he played more behind as like the second striker, number 10 behind McLean and, and, you know, McLean really impressed me this year.
1: So here's where I'm. So this is this is what I wanted to talk to you about because I had a feeling this was going to come up. Would you right now? You know, you especially being the owner of a team, if you have the choice <laughs> the, though, the right owner, now, the
0: owner of a pre-professional team, the, the owner, yes, the
1: <laughs> if you had the choice right now, are you taking Jake Keegan? Or are you taking McLean?
0: Ooh, interesting. Uh, because
1: because this is so this is why I'm like. I thought now Jake, obviously coming back from an injury and like a, a big injury still had five goals, but was also more of a creator. So he had 13 key passes and and McLean did have two assists compared to Keegan's one, but, they're they're close. I, I like I don't think there's a wrong answer, but it is interesting. Do you take someone that's played two seasons and has been you know had a stellar first before injury and it was it's pretty good this one, or do you take McLean based off of short term? Do you know uh, what
0: I, I hadn't considered Keegan because I thought for some reason he had played in the championship before, but I guess he actually he hasn't. Played for, has he, he played for FC Edmonton and Edmonton, I believe, was in the NASL. During that. Right. Right. That's right. Okay. Um, that makes sense. Yeah. So who do I take? Yeah. I mean, both.
1: (laughs) I don't think there's a wrong answer. I just think that I personally would go with, and I thought you were going to take Keegan, which is why I went with McLean, but I would go with Keegan just because he's done it for two years as opposed yeah. to McLean. Like you never know, like a player comes in, you you've heard of the sophomore slump to where, sure. you know, teams kind of figure them out that you can't get more physical on them. They foul them more so that you don't get going. Uh, so that Keegan was able to come and do it twice. I, I think I just go with that just based off of the logic. Well,
0: you consider consider that, you know, between the two of them, they scored, uh, you know, they scored, uh, 12 goals and had, uh, you know, between them like eight assists or something like that. Right. So they were involved, you know, back and forth quite a lot. Um, yeah. I mean, I look either, you couldn't go wrong either way. And and the fact is, so maybe we have, we have a 13th or 12th player on our list and that, that player is uh, either Jake Keegan or Lachlan McLean, whoever you had first. Yep. All right. So anything else about our next level 11? I really enjoyed that quite yeah. frankly. So no, I, I think,
1: I think uh, we had what, 17 players make the jump last year. So it'd be interesting to see how many make it this year. Uh, um, especially with the way the pandemic has happened is I don't think a lot of teams are going to be able to have those tryouts and kind of that scouting that they did before. So it might be interesting to see if we get more players that make the jump this year because people were able to watch them and kind of scout them out.
0: You know, it be interesting to see who gets options renewed or gets their contracts Mm -hmm. renewed too. Cause if any of these guys, I think anyone who's on this list that does not get their contract renewed they're getting picked up whether it's not in if it's not in league 1 then it's probably in the championship right so yep. they, they get picked up by somebody
1: and even when you look at players like marky hernandez right if he doesn't get his option picked up even though he's an impact sub there's no reason why a usl championship team wouldn't bring him in if they're looking to fill in depth and they're looking for someone they know to sub in right so yep. especially if they're younger right like okay yeah he's a he's an impact sub he gives us time for for us to build him up into a full starter
0: yeah so I think that makes perfect sense. All right. So now for the big thing, and we'll we'll try to keep this to 10 minutes or so. The finals of USL League One in 2020 with the abbreviated season is Friday, the 30th of October, 8 p.m. We'll be airing on ESPN Desportes, ESPN Plus, and Sirius XM. It is the Greenville Triumph hosting Union Omaha. Jason. A rematch of a game that we saw just two weeks ago that ended in the banger derby, three (laughs) goals, all three bangers. Will we see the same thing or what do you think? I mean, what, what, what is it? Well, maybe let's, let me start this, Jason. What do you think Greenville has to do? Like what is the thing that they have to do to make sure that union Omaha doesn't win?
1: I think they need to avoid being caught up too far. I think that they need to rely on Alex Morrell and Omar Muhammad to make those one-on-one efforts and Noah Pallad and whoever they have in the midfield to create. I don't want them bringing up – I don't want Polak being too far up. I don't want their center backs being too far up because that is where Omaha is going to kill you. If Omaha gets the ball outside of the box and they have players streaking, you're in trouble. And so I think because of that – I don't think we're going to see that game that we we saw a couple weeks ago. I do think that it's going to be a very defensively kind of sound and feeling each other out game. But the advantage is I think with Omaha, they don't have anything to lose at this point. And they're kind of a team that relies on moments anyway of just, you know, counter or, you know, kind of out of nowhere scoring. So I do think even though, Greenville easily the most organized team in the league, there are going to be chances for Omaha to take advantage and, and have moments like that.
0: So the game two weeks ago, Greenville had a lot of the ball. Omaha was happy to sit back and try and counter and, you know, it, it kind of, they, they had a few chances, you know, Dallas J made a couple of saves, but, but there wasn't uh, you know, ultimately it was a 20 yard banger that, uh, you know, ultimately won the game. Um, do you think either team will want the ball this game? Like this could either be, this could be either be a completely intriguing game in tactically, or it could but just be like everyone just clearing the ball and saying, hey, you build out. And then everyone tries to build out and nobody, you know, really wants to get caught up, like you said. And it winds up just being this midfield battle that there, where there's just not a lot of chances and one team just nips a goal and that's it.
1: Yeah. I think so. First and foremost, I think if Greenville goes up, I think it's it's going to be really tough for for Omaha to to tie it back.
0: It, and, and get Ten it, players behind the ball, and <laughs> I don't I don't
1: think it's it's going to be tough. But I will say that it'll be interesting to see if Coach Harkes chooses to press and when, right? Because the one thing that you have with a brand new team, they're still Omaha, still in their first year, right? And. You know, they do have a very talented, skillful team, but you still don't have the chemistry that Greenville has. So I think that Greenville is going to, you know, give Omaha the ball. And I think they're going to pick and choose when they presto and try to cause mistakes. Because I think if Alex Morrell and, and, and Muhammad and you have, you know, Pilato and McClain, if you get them in the open space where you got the ball in your own half or at midfield, that's when I think Greenville is going to pick and choose their attack. So I think that's when they're going to let Omaha get to a certain spot and then they're
0: going to close in on that press and try to cause a mistake. If you're John Harks, what player on Union Omaha do you make sure that your <laughs> guys shut down? Yeah, I mean, it has to it has to be Vanacore Decker. Okay. It just it, it has to be, right?
1: Because even though Conway is someone that you need to watch out because of his finishing ability. I think so much of that offense is sparked from Van Like He's just always in it. If he's not the assist, he's the MLS assist. If he's not the MLS assist, he's the one scoring it. If he's not the one scoring it, he was the one who sparked it from midfield through ball. They They need someone constantly on him. Uh, and it's going to be interesting to see how they do that because do you mark him one on one or do you try to just keep a midfield zone? It, it'll be interesting to see how Coach Harkes goes about
0: it. And then let's reverse that. Let's go the other way. If you're Jay Mims, Coach Jay Mims of Union Omaha, who do you need to mark out of the game on uh, for Greenville? Is it McLean? Is it Keegan? Is it? It's,
1: it's Morrell. Oh, it's the
0: league. It's the league MVP, Alex Morrell.
1: Um, because the the issue is I don't think you can. There's no. There's no. If you would have to bring in a player who doesn't have a set position he would have because Alex Morrell doesn't Alex Morrell wanders so much, right. And he'll take you out wide and he'll intersect in the middle and he comes back and does the defensive work. And that's what makes him an MVP caliber season this year, right? Like we, we know that he has the offensive ability, but for him to come back and for him to have the 10 tackles and the 12 interceptions and for him to win, you know, 60% of his duels in the midfield, he's somebody that it, it just wears you down and wears you down and he just never tires. And so, yeah, he's the one that you, I don't know how you mark him and I don't know how you shut him. I don't know if it's, you foul him every time he gets the ball in a situation where it looks like he can even make something happen, but he's the one to watch
0: for. So, um, if I'm union Omaha, I agree with you. I think it doesn't, it doesn't matter. You're either going to win this game or you're not. No one's going to be disappointed. If you know, people might be a little disappointed, but people are just ecstatic that you're in the finals. I think for Greenville, it's a must win. So I think if you're Omaha, you just press, you just go out there, you do what you're good at. You, 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 it doesn't matter. There's no more games, right? If someone gets tired and, you know, collapses in the 80th minute and they need to bring on a sub for them. Fine. You know, just go out there and, uh, and, you know, I, I would, I would press because, you know, the green that's not how you played last time, so Greenville may not be expecting that at this point. And you know, by putting the pressure on Greenville, you then make Greenville play. And um, so, so yeah, I would, I would, uh, you know, press. And if I'm Greenville, obviously, um, you know, I just make sure that I'm ready to play as opposed to, um, you know, as, as opposed to sitting back because. Um, you know, you have the talent to do that on that team. I, I think, and I think that they showed that last time, right? They just, you know, didn't have that kind of, tu- you know, final touch in the box that they needed to to equalize or or get the winner against Omaha a couple of weeks ago.
1: Green in Greenville's losses this season, which they only had two, right? I mean, they only had three, right? It was the other team scoring first. Yep. So you so, want to make
0: sure you don't concede early.
1: Yep. So and that so that's what. That's the gamble because that's – I mean, Omaha, that's what they did. They scored first the last game, and and they won. And it's because Greenville – I don't even – I won't even say that Greenville is not a – you know, a team that can play from behind, they haven't had to, right. It's right. one of the Greenville's always scored and then just defensively have locked it down. So if you're Omaha, that's the last thing you want to do. But at the same time, you have to take that risk. If you are going to press the score, that first goal to where it, they might have a chance to where you Alex Murrell gets one-on-one on the side and you just hold your, you just hold your face and hope for the, for the best at that point. Um, so I think the, I think the first half, is going to be the more important half of this game because I think whoever scores that first goal is going to end up winning.
0: I uh, I could definitely see that, um, or it could wind up being 3-2. <laughs> and, and it might even – exactly. It might even be Omaha scores, Greenville – ties
1: it up goes into overtime you know what but i do think whoever scores that first goal is going to win because whoever's chasing the game is going to exhaust more energy and both of these teams have skillful players enough to where if somebody's saving up their energy and they just get a break in the last 20 minutes they're they're going to kill whoever's in front of them
0: and and uh presumably they still get the five substitutes as well yep. so um be interesting to see so, so that's, a,
1: that's a good question though. Cause I do, who do you think, I think Greenville probably has the better debt than, than Omaha.
0: I would agree with that. Um, I th- I think that they they have better options where if it does go into extra time they'll be able to probably make a tactical substitution or two to be able to be yeah. a little bit more dangerous.
1: Yeah, if I'm Omaha, I'm not I'm not trying to play for overtime. Like you said, I, I, you go yeah, out and play, you go
0: for it. Yeah. yeah, I mean the worst that happens is you lose, right? And yeah, you know, and it's a h- tough uh, plane ride home. But at the end of the day, you made it to the finals. I mean, you you did you did what you know people yeah. didn't think a couple of weeks ago was going to be possible, and you did mm-hmm. it.
1: Because the longer you the play, like if you want to, if you're trying to play too timid, and the longer you wait, the more you're playing in the Greenville. Because Greenville is going to say, "Okay, you want to play late? We're more defensively sound. We're we know what we need to do and when we need to attack. So if you want to let us keep going, we'll do that. And then, like we mentioned, with the depth, they can bring in subs and have some difference makers come on. So, yeah, I think Omaha needs to come out guns blazing and they need to try to go for a goal early.
0: Yeah. So one uh, one other note about this we're working on uh on, on trying to do a live um uh I don't know. Watch, watch party. party. Watch party. There you go. Yeah. Uh, watch party. So uh, look out for your social medias probably on Wednesday or Thursday about it. Um, so we'll hopefully have that set up uh, where you'll you'll watch on your own device and then uh, and then at the watch party will we'll be talking and we'll have a, a fun little a fun little time and maybe yeah. I'll and do something that I don't normally do and imbibe um, some of the alcoholic type. There of- you go.
1: Yeah, everyone tweeting which what alcoholic drink they want Ira, uh, they want Ira to have.
0: Um, and I'll let you know if it's in my if it's in my liquor cabinet for me to drink. So,
1: <laughs> and then also we uh, we're gonna have some surprise guests. Uh, so we're, we're gonna have some pregame guests some halftime guests, some possibly some postgame guests. Um, and so, yeah, it's, it's if you're just sitting at home watching the game like we are, join us. It'll be fun. We can all talk about it. Um, we can all, you know, talk to some special guests and we can be this USL League One family.
0: That's hopefully what we get to do. Jason, where can people connect with you? At Home Sweet Soccer. And I can be found at Ira Jersey on Twitter. You can connect with the show at League One Fun. That's League the Number One Fun. Thank you for listening. Please rate and review us wherever you get your podcast. And thanks to our sponsors, Roughneck Scarves, the official scarf supplier of United Soccer Leagues, Major League Soccer, and U.S. Soccer. Get custom scarves to your group or team at roughneckscarves.com. And Icarus FC for all your custom kit needs for your youth, adult, or club teams. Go to IcarusFC.com. Jason, until next week, which will be the last one, hashtag support local soccer. go!